Hello and welcome to Sobertown listeners. This is King 13 joining you again on the train and we're going to ride into the wonderful world of sobriety. And before I get to my special guest today, who I am thrilled to have, um, I see her as a very young influencer in this world and she's going to be very exciting to talk to. Uh, I want to give a shout out to us here just at Sobertown because I'm one of the contributors, obviously, and we are all members of the I Am Sober community, which is a free app that you download that will count your alcohol-free days and you can make an account and post and people will comment and you can follow and do the same back. So that's a lovely thing for you. It's completely supportive. Um, it's pretty relaxed and I think you'll really enjoy it. We certainly do. It's different from any other community that I've certainly known. So they've done a fantastic job there and most people do want to stay. Don't see too many people leaving. And here at Sobertown, we're the complete resource for you. We're like a one-stop shop, as I said, um, with Sober Tools, inspirations, resources. These brave discussions that these members from IS just sit down and talk to me and tell me their stories of which is what's going to happen today. And so I'm really excited because Erin um, Eileen is joining me today and I want to thank you, sweetheart, because Erin is a young lady who I have watched from afar. I have spent many a Zoom with. She's been, everybody knows her in the community and adores her. And I see her as a young influencer. And when these younger men and women come into the I Am Sober community, we are all... <laughs> has more elderly folk, uh, just so impressed because we didn't wake up that early. And I'm always fascinated to talk to them. And they're usually really wise, really smart. And obviously they are because they've decided to do this. So um, good morning, Erin, Eileen. I am just thrilled to have you. How are you? Good morning, Debs. Thank you for having me. I'm doing really good. I'm excited to be on the podcast. Thank you all for having me. Oh, look, it's my pleasure. And there's going to be a lot of people from the I Am Sober community who's going to listen to this and recognise as soon as they see your little name up there in the title. Um, and we will get to that. So let's go back. I was looking at your profile and it goes back quite a bit. Let's mm -hmm. just say that. And it goes back to November 13, 2020. That was day three. Mm -hmm. And I bring that up for a reason. That was the first day that you slept. So I don't know where you want to start. I'm going to go through these days and, and so forth, but you may want to say how you got to even day zero. Yeah, so I had downloaded the app in July of 2020, and I had been looking on the app store for a counter of some sort, and um, I just, you know, I had sort of realized that um, you know, friends would take a 30 day challenge and I realized like, wow, I've never done 30 days. And so I just kind of got curious and wanted to see if I could do something like that. And it took me a while to explore into the community side of the app and, and realize, oh, people are talking on here. You know, people are on similar um, days as me. And when I started posting, it became more real for me. It, you know, talking to others um, people being really nice to me, which I wasn't expecting. I felt really like miserable when I would reset. Yeah. I know, right? People are nice to me. It's like, I'm sorry, but guys, I mean, and God bless them, but, it, you know, every AA group's different, but I didn't feel that way when I walked through the doors. Yeah. Maybe it was just that day, but go on. <laughs> yeah, you kind of come in your, with your suitcase of misery and you're like, oh, belly right. up, didn't do well. 
like, and you kind of expect some sort of, you know, because I'm whipping myself in my own head. I'm like, you suck. Like you're just not able to do this. What's wrong with you? Are you an alcoholic? You know, you better take a quiz and figure out, (laughs) Oh my God, you drink more than binge drinking men. Like that's really bad. (laughs) Um, that's kind of an indication to us. Yeah. Don't worry. I I failed every single one. I thought this can't be right. This can't be right. When they say one, can't be glasses, surely. But go on. No, I was like, how big is a glass? What? How? Yeah. Many, well, I don't know how much an ounce is. I, I, yeah. I like, okay. Um, so yeah, I had a string of of misery until I figured it out. I, um, I don't think I ever hit three weeks. I think twenty days was the most I ever did. And most of my resets were less than ten. Some were three days. Summer one day, um, it was, and it was getting progressively worse because the math on the app was showing me and the chart was showing me how much worse it was getting. Like the more I tried to control it, the worse out of control it was getting because I hadn't, I hadn't made the decision in my mind that I was done. And that was a big, um, sign. And the more I tried <laughs> to control that, the more I slipped with it. You know what, Erin, it's so funny that you say that because I sat down last night and I looked at this just from a statistical perspective and I'm not, a, I'm only a stats girl where it comes to sales and numbers and all that sort of stuff. But looking at this, I could see, and in your defence, it was over Christmas and I could see event, tick, slip, event, tick, slip, you know what I mean? So yeah. I could see that, yes, you were, the thought was really deeply there, but this was so not the right time to be doing this for you at November, December, twenty twenty, because it's sort of you would you'd go along and then and then you, and then you really started to get it together because if come February, um, oh, let me have a look here. When was it? March. You were then at twenty five days. Oh, sorry, March eleven. Sorry, I beg your pardon. March eleven. You were one month. So you really then you'd had enough of Christmas and you really settled down and got yourself together. Yeah, it was. It was. Um... So my last relapse was 10 days before February 7th. And it was unfortunately not just a slip. It was the one and only time I've ever um, consecutively drank. I think, I think it would be called like a bender. Like I had Mm -hmm. never done anything like that. Um, And I was in despair. Like I was locked in my room, couldn't leave the house, um, left like once to go get more alcohol and I like stocked up because I was so you know I had a I had a scary incident where someone followed me home and it triggered all these panic attacks and the only thing I could think to do was escape and um like it's very emotional for me because it was it was the hardest time in my life and I was so afraid because I had just um I'd never done anything like that before and it was hard to envision my life in that cycle. Like it wasn't just a binge at a party. It wasn't just a slip up on a weeknight. Like it was this prison cell I had put myself in because I was out of control. And I knew that if I didn't do something, I was going to spend the rest of my life chasing this insanity. And I, I just gave up. I surrendered. I was like, I'm out. Like, I don't want this anymore. And I had to, you know, wave the white flag and call for help and tell people, like, this is what I've been doing. You know, I need, I need help. I can't live like this. Yeah. And look, when it gets to the stage two, when you wake up and you realize that you've put yourself in a very dangerous position and you escaped really very 
you know, something that couldn't have been very nice. I think that sort of, and what were you doing on your own anyway? I shouldn't even ask this to you, but I'm going to. What were you? You saw, I don't want you going anywhere. I'm going to be like your mum now, anywhere on your own, because this, you know, this is the thing that con- that concerns me, you know. And we do, and that's the thing. At the time, your inhibitions have gone. You think you'll be okay. You just want to get home, and we don't have common sense. God, our choices are completely the opposite of what we would do sober, right? So I understand it. I have done it. I've yeah. been exactly where you are, and I'm nearly 60 this year. So, you know, as a drinker of 40 years, I've been there and I've done that. And not very often I learned very quickly, don't be alone unless, you know, you know them well. No, it's it's true. You put yourself in these risky mm. situations. And um, and I'm not just talking about you, Erin. I'm just I'm seeing a lot of it, you know, and it's not intentional, of course. No, you don't wake up that day and think, oh, let me do something really, really harmful to myself. When I would find myself in these situations and, um, you know, being followed home that night, like I was sober. I had just been walking around my neighborhood on the phone with a friend and a man saw me, had this deranged, you know, he was going through a mental health crisis and, um, you know, followed me and started chasing me and stalked outside of my house for hours. And it was enough to cause such a sense of disease in my mind that I shut down and I completely, you know, couldn't handle it and drank. And it had been building up because my relapses were getting bad. But this just every time I would get a little bit of sober, like a few hours or something, like I took a shot because I just did not. I couldn't deal with it. I couldn't. Yeah. No, no. So today you are how many days alcohol free? Um, I think I'm at 397 today. So well, congratulations. So let's just say from there on in, we get it together. Now let's go back before we got to the point of really day zero. So tell me about the young Erin Eileen. Yes. So pre-alcohol. Um, I think I think what most people don't know is that I didn't grow up with alcohol in the home at all. Um, both of my parents are sober. My mom has over 30 odd years sober and my dad, um, got sober when I was one. So I never, I never saw alcohol in the house. It was never, um, a part of my life, which I think, um, I can now amend to say it wasn't there, but it's presence was maybe felt or the lack of it sometimes. Um, but I didn't know any of the past in my family with alcohol, um, so I didn't, I wasn't very prepared, I would say, for when it became a thing in my teenagers. Um, and I always knew that my parents didn't like it. So when I would drink as a teenager, I would hide it because I didn't want to get like a lecture. I just wanted to be able to do what other people were doing and, you know, kind of keep it my own business. Um, so, you know, it was very... I think it was interesting um, because I know people are always worried, like if your kids see it, if they don't see it, you know, what do you tell them about it? And I didn't know any of the past until I was sober, um, until I learned there was probably a genetic thing going on. There was a um, an issue in my family. Like I had some relatives who struggled with alcohol, but it wasn't in my home. It wasn't around me. I never saw my parents like out of control that I would ever remember. So um yeah, kind of, I kind of felt very um, out of place in my family because I was the only one that drank. I have a younger brother and he doesn't drink at all. 
um, just never had an interest in it. So I was like, well, guess I'm the fun one in the family. You know, I'll take up that torch. I'll be, I'll be the cool person, um, which obviously wasn't very cool, but, um, in my, in my teen years, I guess is when, you know, my friends started experimenting with alcohol. Um, I remember my first like real drinking experience was the summer before grade 12. And I remember we bought alcohol off a friend's older brother and it was like whiskey or something dark. And I remember like, I did not know we had one can of diet Coke between the three of us I'm like, and a bottle of, of oh. dark liquor. And I remember like tipping the bottle back and watching bubbles go out. And I, don't remember the rest of the night. Like it was immediately gone. Um, we were drinking in a field cause that's what you do in Canada sometimes. Um, mm. I remember my dad, you know, my friend's parent brought me home and my dad had to carry me in off the lawn. And oh, I, man. I thought I was going to die. Like I was like, yeah, oh. that, that experience that yeah. most of us have had. Yeah. 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 My dad had like pots and pans. It was, oh, was no, like, oh God. No, you need to know what this does to you. And um, I was like, oh, <laughs> so, um, but I didn't, I didn't think anything of that. Yeah. And when I would drink, um, you know, it's 19 here, the drinking age in Canada. So um, when I would go out, it was only at parties that I would drink. You know, I never drank at home in my parents' house because I didn't, um, they didn't, they didn't want it in the house. So um, it was when I would go out and be with people that I would have alcohol. And I always binge drank like when I, I was never a daily drinker ever. It was always at parties, always socially. And it was a lot. We all drank like that though. It was just the culture. It was, you show up at eight, nine o'clock, you get as many drinks in, you leave it too. Like it was kind of our, our entertainment, our fun, but it was very <laughs> irresponsible. Um, but it's a big, it's a big thing with young people. You, you just drink like that. Yeah. It's a big thing with the world, not just young people. You know what yeah. I mean? It's just everywhere. It's so prevalent for even from my parents to my, you know, my generation to, you know, yeah, yours and all the one in between because you're so young compared to me. But I don't, I'm going to bring this up because I did read and it was caught, I think some of you posts that I was reading last night, I think some of them had like, you know, when you read something, you think there's a lot of cryptic messages now that I know you in there, the way that you were writing. And I see something and I, you know, about, and I'm going to bring it up, the church and spiritual rituals. I yeah. think this is something that was, uh, the word vague comes to mind and you use that. Mm. And I thought, okay, you've come from, a particular background you've been taught particular things do you want to talk about those yeah um so religion was a big part of my childhood and um you know my mom's very religious my dad's he calls himself like a recovering catholic um it was a big part of my mom's childhood and she went through a lot of hardships i would say um like it's her story to tell but you know there's again, again it's Traveling through generations, yep, yep, yep. We're learning so much more about this, aren't we? Same with my mum. But go on, yep. Yeah, and um, I just, it really influenced me. Like when I was young, I had a really close relationship with God. Um, but as I, you know, met myself more, I realized there were things about me that weren't going to match up. Yeah. And 
um, the shame of that really got me, especially, um, you know, I really struggled to come out when I was, I didn't come out till I was like 24 or 25. And it was only because I had to, like, I had a partner and I was really like, I cannot keep living a lie. Um, and it, it sucked. Like I feared losing, um, this connection that I had with my family. And it was tough when it happened, but got a lot better um and there were other things like I didn't I always like I had all these purity rings and I had to keep marrying Jesus and this is what I've written here promises to men to remain pure until married and I've written that in capitals last night at some ungodly hour and I thought whoa that's that's whoa yeah I mean it just seems weird that as a seven eight year old men were telling me about if I was you know, good, or if I was pure, it was, <clears throat> it was the difference. If you had sex, you were dirty, you were filthy, you were going to have a baby and yeah. that was the end of your life. You Why know, I, and, men only, and men only wanted one thing. That's what I got told. Honestly, Aaron, men only want one thing. Always beware. I thought, what am I looking out for here? Like the French foreign legion or something like, you yeah. know? <laughs> what if I'm not interested? What yeah, if I- exactly. What if you don't like men? <laughs> and I, I, I always, I think I was born a feminist. Like when I would see my family parties and the women were always cooking and cleaning and the men were sitting. And you're just shaking your head. I was like, I refuse. And it wasn't because I didn't want to help my mom. It was just that she shouldn't be the one doing all of it. Yeah, right. And I couldn't take it. Like I, I I had bald fists at the table. I was like, why is no one helping? Like, why do we all jump up to clean? And the guys are sitting there like, Right. Delicious right. And clean up. Yeah. You shout next for the beer. Right. Yeah. All <laughs> right. No, it's it's so, so true. So that like we all talk about our brains and our environment and mm. Gabor Mate talks a lot about it, about your environment that you're in that influences your mind. Okay. Yeah. This is the stuff and your environment and this is what you're going through at such an influential age. Do you know, and in the most influential time in a child's life, and I think this is where a lot of us, including myself, had the, the trauma happen, was between those years of sort of seven to 11. Yeah. The very telling years, you know. Yeah. So was it around that time that you were going through all this or had you gone through puberty and you were young, you know, 12 to 14, 15, 16, when was that all happening that this was what you were getting told, God forbid? Well, it was always, always there, always in the back. Oh. <laughs> like, it just, it, it, it wasn't until I was like 12 or 13 that I ever even questioned it. Um, but yeah, like my early environment, there was religion. And then at home, you know, my, my dad and I, we had a very difficult relationship because he, he could be very, harsh and very punishing and just had an anger and a temperament that was terrifying to a kid. So I just found like refuge in, you know, religion and prayer and, you know, maybe it'll get better. And then when I felt like that was when I felt like I had to betray myself to get that, I couldn't do it anymore. I was like, this is not right for me. I don't believe it. And I think I went like pretty far the other way. I was like, yeah. I don't believe in anything. And so that's why my spirituality post came up because I was like, in order to protect myself, I distance myself from anything being possible. And I want to explore that in a way that is healthy for me and makes me feel loved again 
by by something. Um, I just don't want men to have anything to do with it. Nothing against men, right? It's not about individual men being good or bad. It's, it's the idea it's of a patriarchal way yeah. of telling me who I am and what my worth is. And I am like, no, thank you. No, that's fair enough too. So what, at what age did you move out of home? I didn't move out till I was in my mid-20s. I had gone to school and lived at my parents. I was going to say, is that because you were at, yeah, at uni and stuff? Yeah, so I had I just kept dropping out and then getting jobs and then not figuring out what I wanted to do until I um, was like 24 and I kind of was like, okay, I have to stick to a program. I have to graduate something. Um, and then when I was in my mid-20s, I moved to Toronto, which is like a, I lived in the suburbs, like an hour out of the city, so very close to home still. Yeah, and, and you know, there's a lot of, have you noticed that there's a lot more younger women coming into the Zooms these days? Yeah, we, there's a need. There's definitely a need for safe connection. And um, we've been lied to for a long time about alcohol being good for us. And it catches up. Your mental health just cannot, can't float in a jar of um, wine. You know, it's, it's, it's so counter to how our brains need to function. This like alcohol obsessed culture that we live in that tells us that we're sexy. If we drink, we'll get better jobs. We'll be more likable. You'll be less of a bitch. And it's like, it's not. Do you know worth- what? It, do you know what it's like? It's like kicking a dog when it's down. Because <laughs> yeah. women have women have such low self esteem anyway. Because then they're comparing themselves to all these covers, you know, the Vogue covers. And then you've got when you really look at it, it's 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 so you know, yeah, it is. It's it's that and all and and more. And there's so many other ways that you can have a good time. And you know, I love a laugh like the best of us. But this is a serious subject, you know. And like just <clears throat> when we were talking about. Just what we've seen, what we learned, what we did, and now we know. <laughs> Once you know better, you can do better. And that's the thing I see yeah. people coming in. There's a phase where you struggle because now you know. You know what you've done. You know it's not right. You know that you've made bad choices sort of thing. And you're like, oh, the guilt, the shame. And, and it passes because you did not know better. You might have known, oh, I shouldn't have gotten so drunk at that time. But you were being told messages your entire life about your worthiness and your good and your matter. And then this like magical elixir comes in and suddenly you're likable and sociable and you can talk to people. And it's like, oh, of course this works. It wasn't true. But how would you have known? How would you have known? I was going to say they can tell you bloody shit because you don't know because you're pissed. <laughs> Sorry. You don't know how you are. You think you're those things. Videotape yourselves, people, and, re- and roll it back. You'll soon realise that, the, as I said, and I say it all the time, it's the way that you perceive yourself, the way that others perceive you, and the way you really look. It's like it's all yeah. different. So, yeah, and I totally agree with you that we believe all these things. Yes, it does give you that instant confidence, immediately just gives you that buzz to get you through the door and get you going, but then there's no balance after that. It's just bye, bye-bye. Yeah, it's like it's so I have this thing about coping skills and my belief around it is that, you know, anything is a coping skill if it helps you cope. And whether that's good or bad, you know, a bag of chips is a coping skill. Going on a walk is a coping skill. You know, these things function. They work. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. So you can't beat yourself up because you went to something that worked. 
It right. met a need at a time when you had it. You're just relearning a way to cope without it. And there's a lot of things that work better than alcohol, but it's not without, you know, work and difficulty sometimes making that adjustment. Yeah, and look, I just did a, a podcast, you know, with um, Sober I Thrive's husband, Armin, about cross-addiction because this is, the st- and again, I think it's one of the stages that I went through not drinking, not drinking, stay sober, stay sober, do what it takes, eat, 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 eat. Oh, gone into cross-addiction one. Do you know what I mean? Then mm. there's others that pop their head up. And, you know, he and I were talking and he had multiple too and he said, oh, my Lord, you know, it's because – they're like, this is still part of you. This is still mm-hmm. part of your personality. And I have read in multiple books that, yes, there is predisposed genes to um, having or predisposed to having the alcoholic gene. It is not everything and it has not been proven, but yes. And I look back through my family, Erin, it's still the same. It's, it's rife through there, you know. Yeah. Um, and again, with your parents, you don't know what they went through. It was only when I looked at my folks and, and took it back because we came to Australia when I was eight. I didn't know all my family, mothers and fathers side in Wales. I didn't grow up with them. So it was all a mystery. And I'm finding a lot of it out now that they're deceased, believe it or not. So mine's like, I'm like, you know, I've lived and now I'm going back to find out how I lived, which is very interesting. But um, with the younger, getting back to the younger people, this is why, and thanks to IAS for, for letting us, you know, with the women's, they're allowing us to post these invites. And I've been doing them within the first three-month period, particularly within the first month. I'm trying to get catch them early because I was so lost. I didn't know where to go. I was so frightened. How was I going to live without alcohol in my life was a question that was a question you couldn't pose to me because there was no answer. It was like, I can't. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And now, you know, and I've heard it from other people. I was listening to a podcast for a lady that we've got on their wing victory, and she's saying, too, there's so much more available to us today. And Sobertown, you know, I'm not just unplugging Sobertown all the time, but there's so much there. We worked our butts off. Everybody did a fantastic job to get all this information in one spot. So it takes up your time so you haven't got a glass in your hand and you're not picking up. Yeah. Simple. You need those resources to be there and make it easy so that you don't have a, an easy out. If you're going to relapse, right. it's not because you didn't know better. It's, right. you know, you need to still grow and learn a little more and try something new, try, try another fix. And it's nothing against relapse. Like I relapsed for like six months on the app until I figured it out. So you know, I get most it. normal thing, you know, it's the most normal thing. And it's something that we're all probably all going to experience. Very few of us don't experience along the way. You look, little drift of 10 years, and then nine, nine years and his brother passes away and boom. Yeah. We don't know what's around the corner and you don't know that day. You just might not, we just want to escape and like, you can't handle some information. And, and I've said this before and I'm, I'm going to do this podcast. It's been bugging me now for a week about, grief because I can talk a lot about this everyone's going to suffer it right in time it's just how we deal with it so even Leo in our sobriety and I did this before when I knew that my father was sick I planned in my head the various scenarios of how it could play out and it's mental preparation it's visualization again it's not to upset myself or it's reality because when you know the news is not good, you better get real quick because if you're not, you get caught off guard and you can't make the best decisions. So it's just common sense when you when you look at it, you know, but 
it's something we all have to deal with. And um, not that I want to get into all grief. What I want to get into is just something funny that's caught my eye here. And it's, you know, remember what you did on your six-month anniversary? You made, <laughs> you remember the cake, type of cake you made? Do you want to talk about it? It's hilarious. I've got it on my phone. I saved it. Was it the nacho? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, okay. This is actually really <laughs> It's beautiful. Um, my roommates are, they made that cake for my birthday. And I had said, you know, we, we always do something fun for people's birthday in our house. And, um, I love nachos. So they made me a nacho cake and then a cake that looks like a nacho. So you had like dinner and then a dessert and it was, it was just such a celebration. And, um, you know, it's, how lucky I was to have such good friends in my life who know I'm sober supporting me. I mean, they filled the house. Like we have parties. We're young. We still like to have friends over. I have so many options for non-alcoholic drinks in the house and they'll, they always check with me. They're like, is this okay? Is this, you know, comfortable? Like, what do you want? You know, pick and choose your own adventure. And I really appreciate that. And I was so tender hearted in my first you know, a few months of sobriety, I was, I was so appreciative of, um, being able to have my friends love and support me and also not feel like I had to be, you know, have a dead social life because I wasn't drinking. Like that was not true for me at all. Oh, I've seen you. I've seen you party sober and it's so cute. I've seen you all dressed up and get ready to go. You've turned up at many a Zoom in theme, which is terrific. Yeah, you know, I like going out. I live in a fun And you should city. live your life. Yeah. There's no reason that I had to like stop. I I you know, I like to play a lot of sports. I like to I'm learning how to skateboard. I go to the, the parks, I go to drag shows, I go to events, I go to concerts. Like I'm not dead. I'm just remembering it. <laughs> Hallelujah. And the last podcast that I just did that's up, it's just on that, that this is a lifestyle, not a death sentence, listeners. And this is why I love people like Erin who are inspirational, positive. I have seen this woman blossom in 12 months completely. And she's come through the gate. She's crossed the bridge. She's on the other side. And now it's sort of rainbows and unicorns. I've seen you cry too, as we all have. But today it gets easier and now that we are and we've both hit the year and once you get into that, we start working on ourselves Mm -hmm. and that's why it's a great time to be talking to you now. And you and I had talked six months ago and you said, no, I'm not ready. And I I, I love that. I love that you knew when you – and it wasn't time because you were dealing and going through – it's so unpredictable in the first 12 months and your emotions are too. You can't commit to something in a week's time because I'll tell you people, you don't know how you're going to feel. All of a sudden you'll be like, I don't, I, I was great on Monday. I was all for it and Friday. I don't want to go. Don't want to do it. Uh, not feeling good about it. Feeling toey, feeling a bit edgy. Don't go. <laughs> Just don't go and you'll be fine um, because you don't want to be fighting with yourself all night if being uncomfortable somewhere. Like you said, I, I love the fact that your roommates are the most beautiful people and take care of you. And I am sure positive it's assisted in keeping you on, you know, on track. Yeah. Their consideration, you know, it's, it's just like, I, I do feel I put a lot of work into my sobriety and into my healing. And I never, I, I felt like when I was drinking, like I wasn't a good person 
And that's because I was doing things that were out of alignment with my character. And the more I got into alignment with my character, the more I was honest, the more I stopped bullshitting people, the more I stopped, you know, lying and hiding bottles and showing up hungover and saying, I just didn't feel well, you know, my relationships got better. My friendships got stronger. People could meet the real Aaron. And she was good. She's fun. She's silly. She's weird. She can't remember things, but that's not because she's drunk. She just forgets. And I'm imperfect and that's fine. They still love me. They still show up for me and I can show up for them. It is a two-way road where now I can be an honest friend. I can tell you what's really going on. Like, I don't have to lie anymore. It's such a gift. Like, it's just, it's, it's mind blowing. I'm like, this feels like winning the lottery and it feels like a miracle. Like, and you know what I, I want to be. It's cool. And what I love is you've got so far to go. Like the, the nicest thing that was ever said to me by my best friend, because she's in Australia and I'm in Miami. So yeah, it was five o'clock in the morning for me one time and she'd been drinking away and she's, you know, she's, she doesn't abuse it, but, you know, her husband sort of is a big drinker. So that's Australia for you. But she said to me out of the blue, she said, I just want to tell you it is so good to have you back. And it caught me so off guard. And I said, but I've been here. And she said, no, you haven't. That's what they see. They see Erin Eileen now. And you were right. We were and are good people. Everybody out there that we know are good people. And that's the thing. I think that's where the anxiety and the frustration and the panic and everything gets into it. We're so out of the line and we're not in our skin. I even said it that way. I'm back in my skin. And everything has sort of just melted into a nice just a nice air wave now. We're not turmoil, you know. It's God, it feels different to have inner peace. I've never had it. And I don't want to give it away. And I start, I don't want to go back to all the sweats. And I'm in Miami. It's hot enough, thanks. Sweating and stinking of alcohol. And oh, forget it. No, no. But now when I can smell someone else because I live in a tower of 43 floors and there's people in the elevator and they kind of like garlic everywhere in the world, it's like you can just smell grog and alcohol and it's, you know. It's not the best smelling perfume in the world. Let's just say that. Not and really, yeah. Just glad I don't live on the 43rd floor. I can get off way before that. But, yeah, you know, I mean, it's just, I don't know, it's more, you're just comfortable in yourself, aren't you? Yeah, you have to give yourself the gift of time to figure it out. You know, when yes. you're early in sobriety, it's Beautiful. a rush. And I did Beautiful. it too, right? I'm not, like, I'm not judging it's a rush. You want to feel better. You've spent enough time feeling like crap. Um, but the, the more you can get to the root of your stuff and, and be protective of your sobriety, like it's a little right. tiny flame you've just got in the woods, the better off you are because the long-term plan is a life of joy and creating meaning. And it's not going to be perfect, but it's yours and you control it. And you invested the time early on to keep this sacred space for yourself where you are healing and figuring it out. And there's no rush. It doesn't have to be done in a week. It doesn't have to be done in a year. It's your time. It's your journey. You know what you went through. You know what alcohol did to you. You know what your past did to you. So you figure it out on your own terms. No one gets to define that for you. Even though we, you know, we might have good advice, like, you're going to listen to yourself. And if you've removed alcohol from your mind, clogging your ideas, like you can start to trust yourself again. You can start to build that relationship and go, what do I need to be successful in this? What do I need to stay sober today? The first few weeks I had sober, I think I drank like 10 coffee a day. I needed that like crazed feeling because I just 
Your dopamine was so depleted. Yeah. 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 I was like, I need a hit, like something. I need to feel something because I was so chaotic and it leveled out. You know, I think I was like, we have Tim Hortons here and it's very popular. I was getting extra large coffee driving around like, Oh, Oh man. I like need more coffee. And it was just, I had to let my brain heal a bit because I was not well, but once it did, it was a lot less intense. Yeah, and look, and I think about it from my insides out and thinking about what I threw down my gullet for how many years and wonder why, do you know? And, of course, the body's gone into complete and utter shock. Like, what have you done? Cold turkey, which I did. And, I mean, I had my two bottles every day for, geez, I don't know, the last at least 10 years. And that was whether I was working or not. If it was nighttime, it was two at night. And if I wasn't, one in the afternoon and then one I'd start. And I'd I'd, I'd do it slowly throughout the day. That's not, But it's not the point. The point was I was filling in my day because I was born, stopped working, COVID had hit, and hubby was working away at the time. I was living in California and he was up in uh, San Jose. And it was just filling in time with boredom. And I thought, this is, what are you bloody doing, woman? It's fun at the start when you think, oh, this is a bit naughty. This is a bit cheeky. I'm having a drink, you know. It's going from 12 to 11 now, you know. I'm not going to brunch. I'm actually doing it on my own. Oh, that's all right. It's five o'clock somewhere. The excuses that I came up with, my God, no wonder, 30 30 years of sales. Yeah, came up with every single one of them. And then you come up with the really, then I got angry. And then I started, my body started telling me this is not good. What was it when, you know, like, because you, and it's hard for me, I keep going back, back, back. But when were you telling yourself, geez, Erin, I reckon something's not right, quite right here. When did you sort of, do you know that? Because I'm, I can't pinpoint it. I'm still trying to pinpoint it. But I'm older than you, um, way, way older. There were, there were times when I would get really drunk and just make an ass of myself. And yeah. um, I was you know, experimenting with moderation. So I remember I hosted a party for a friend and I didn't drink that whole night. And, um, it was hard. Like I thought about it all night, just having some torturous. Yeah, I know it's horrible. I I was like, is this normal? Is like, do people, you know, not drink for a night and really think about it this much. And then the more embarrassing things happened, you know, I, I realized like, I'm just a binge drinker. Like that's what I do. So I'm going to have to control when I do it. I can't do it during the week because you know, it'll have to be a weekend activity because I know I'll get wasted. And, um, I didn't feel comfortable with that, but it felt like it is what it is. Um, and then once COVID happened and like my day lost structure, like what you were saying, I just had this time. Um, I started going back to school to do my university degree and, um, you know, online education, it's really like a wild kind of schedule. So it didn't matter when I was drinking, like I could kind of be like, oh, I'll do all my stuff like later in the week or something. Um, right. And yeah. I think that really, you know, as bad as it was, I'm really grateful that that happened, that I got so out of control because I want I know. to figure it out. I didn't want to have a that's, But that's what we, that's where we're at. So many of us hit it during COVID and then got to the point where for this is ridiculous. What? I got angry at myself. I thought, I'm so sick of you. I got, I got, I'm, I'm so sick of you. I can't even bear to look at you anymore. This is bloody ridiculous. And then I started talking to myself as a separate person, which, you know, she's still there, but we keep, we keep her in her box with the lid down for the moment, you know? <laughs> 
but it takes work. And that's the thing too. I can honestly say, you know, with pause, I've always said, you know, the post-acute withdrawal syndromes, we, we, we end up having these symptoms for up to two years and I'm, I'm sure mine's going to take that long, maybe, maybe even more. And um, I was going to say, what do you say to like the younger ladies who are scared, sceptical, um, feel like they are on their own and probably like where, where we were? Because, I, you know, I, I would just say just make the move and do it because once you're in and you get comfortable and you meet people, it's a whole different ball game and everyone's really friendly. How would you just describe just our community and our Zooms and, as I said, what would you say to them? Um, there's a song by Brandy Carlisle and one of the lines, um, really hit me. Um, I think it's with Sam Smith and it was, um, your secret of drinking and your overthinking are leaving you more and more alone. And I could not have related to anything more because for me, it was like the shameful little secret I kept in the closet literally. And as much as I longed for that connection with people, I, I felt alone I felt like this is my problem this is a character defect this is yeah right this is what shame looks like yeah if anyone finds out this about me this like black hole that I have in my heart they're not going to want me around and it's a horrible feeling it's horrible you feel like the worst person in the world yeah 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 but you're not you're not (laughs) you're not and you're not alone and people are going to love you if you let them and that's what this community does. And I like it because it, it doesn't get as political as some groups. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. You can just come and share what's on your heart. And it's total like random luck of the draw, right? You get into these little groups and you talk and it's people that you might not have connected with in the real world just because you, you, you just remove anything that you think is going to be, oh, I can't talk to this person. I don't relate to this person. You know, we have the gift of time on our side. Right. And you can connect with people who have had so many different life experiences. And I think it's such a, you know, if you're young and you're getting sober and someone is giving you the gift of their years to tell you, look what I've done, look what could happen, don't make the choice that I made, then you get to live your life and share that message. You get to raise your family with that message. You get to meet your colleagues with that message. It is a circle. We need to complete that chain because you will be that age one day. If you give yourself sobriety and you have a healthy life, you are going to share that survival story with someone and it will help. And maybe that's, maybe that's a little like frou-frou, but you know, pay it back. It's not. This is why I love you being here. And, you know, I actually would love to do more with you because, you know, look on your one year. I'm just going to say you are so popular. You've got like nearly 50 comments. I mean, people adore you and they follow you and they listen to you. And we need people like you and people like Little Dev and even my little Carl's, you know, she's still going and God bless her, but she's in the community and we love her. Even if, like you said, the slips are irrelevant, okay? And I know, look, I know that everybody dies every day and what have you, but realistically, if you're just talking in terms of years, you have time to sort this out. We do. I do. I'm nearly 60, okay? <clears throat> if I don't get it the first time, 
it doesn't mean it's over. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't mean, and as, as you said before, I'm in sober college now and I don't get to graduate. I just get to keep repeating classes, I suppose, until I learn more and changing subjects, okay? And I do get little certificates sometimes on my timelines when people send me presents, which is lovely or a cup, or a mug, or something. But, you know, this is where we're at. And in, in that college are all of us, all of us with their groups, and all of us with their, you know, mates and camaraderie and their, you know, friendships and so forth. And it's just like a college, isn't it? So true. Men's, yeah. mixed, ladies, all sorts of Zooms. Anything you want, listeners, we've got it now. We didn't have it before. You don't have to be alone, and it's so cool. Yeah, it's a lonely, isolating experience. It's revolting. Through. Yeah, don't do it. Don't do it. Maybe you don't need to. Yeah, yeah, don't. You just imagine. It's just, I can see you. You're dead in the dark hole. Now, come on, start climbing. The ladder's there. I've just given it to you. You're going up the ladder. One step left, right, left, right. You're at the top. Pull yourself out. Dust yourself off. Okay, stand up straight and we're going to start today day one and there you go we can help I you remember, um i i think it was like four or five months i had this like massive fear of relapse because i just couldn't imagine doing all that again you know oh, i know right <laughs> I, I was like there's no way like what will happen and it was a for some reason it was really in my head what i would do and I remember, you know, I think it was Chef or Chinook Kid, and I was I was talking with them a lot, and um, just in our in our Zoom breakouts, and kind of this clarity came over me where I realized, you know, I want an entire life of sobriety, and if I relapse at any point, I will just come back to this. I will always come back to this, and it removed this anxiety for me because, you know, I can't know that I will never ever have another drink again but I can know that I love myself and I deserve the chance to come back to this and there's always going to be a group there's always going to be people seeking a sober life and I will just come back I will just do it and I I think that removed the anxiety of like oh my god I can't relapse I can't relapse I can't relapse I was like you know what just figure it out one day at a time just relax you're gonna that's the thing How many people do you see come and go? They'll go for a few months, go off and do their thing, try and moderate, come back. And what happens? Everybody is just above and beyond welcoming. Oh, it's great to see you. Good to see you. Well, I was going to – this is typical people, listeners. I've been doing this one year, okay, one year, and I didn't find the app or anything for – I don't know. I didn't find the Zooms for three months. That's right. I found the app, but I didn't find the Zooms for three months. So these people I met online and the other day on Wednesday, I was in a Zoom with four people and we all we all just said, oh, my God, reunion. That was the three and four of us said the same thing. Oh, my God, reunion. Because we hadn't seen each other for a few months. We all had strong sobriety and we all knew each other and it was terrific. Again, sober college. Exactly. Meeting up at the cafe at school with them a little a little decaf, a cup of tea. But yeah, that's exactly what happens, right? And and they don't you don't forget them. And the support's there now. That's if you get over that fear of just turning up at a Zoom and joining the I am sober community app and making an account, and you don't even have to show your face in Zooms. You can just make just come and have your your 
camera off for a while, as long as you just say that you, your name and you introduce yourself and you flick your camera off so we know who you are and then you, you can go and just listen. But honestly, it's it's the way to do it and you make friends. And now I've got these friends, and I'm sure you have too, where they're for life. And yeah. then in your back pocket it 24 hours, seven days a week, you know, this even with me, you could read me any time and day and night because I'm usually up day and night, you know. But Deb, Deb, I, you know, even just to fill in time and talk to me, like Deb just taught me through it, whatever it might be. Or Deb, I'm feeling rubbish and I don't know why and, I, you know, I feel crap and I'm, I really just think this is the answer. No, it's not. Mm. The answer is to pick up the phone and call someone even though you don't want to do it. And we're stubborn like that. We're good at being stubborn. Oh, hello. Rule our lives. But whether, yeah, whether you're 29 or nearly 60, you're right, Erin. We both, we, we, you don't change. You know what I mean? You shouldn't change for anyone. And I was looking at your to- total sober days for the year, and this is what I like. I like working in these percentages when it comes to days of the year. And you had 328, and correct me if I'm wrong, out of 365 in 2021. They were your total sober days that you wrote. Yep. I am really proud of that because it wasn't easy. And I think when you, for me, like the 10 days of drinking after that, you know, scary incident um, to come back from that and recommit and redo it. I didn't see it at the time as a strength, but I see it now that I was the most vulnerable, the most scared that I have ever been in my life. And I did it. Like that is a lot to be proud of. And in the moment, you don't have that distance to see what you've done. You don't know that you're being brave. You don't know that, but being brave only happens when you're scared shitless. Yeah. I could not have been braver because I was so low that that was my limit. I was not going to live my life that scared, that broken. I was, and I, and I was, I was scared and I was broken. I felt alone. And I saw something better. Like that is hope working in my life. And that is the universe or spirit or something working in my life saying, I see greater and I see bigger for you. You can't see it now because you're micro zoomed in on everything that went wrong, but there is more. And you just have to like trust that process, that faith one day at a time. There's more than this. There's more than feeling shitty. There's more than throwing up. There's more than a hangover. There is more out there, you know? And that's where, that's where your sober voice was talking to your not sober voice. And it is a fight. And all I can say, and I'm thinking, you're taking me back, I'm thinking to the actual day and moment of, of make, when you make that pivotal decision of do I or don't I when you pick up, you know what I mean? And it's exactly the only way, and I've described it in another podcast, I said to, when you're at your despair and you're just thinking, look, it'll be the easiest, it'll be the easiest, it'll be the easiest, just crack the shits and say it won't be the it'll be the easiest for five minutes and then you're going to hate yourself and talk to yourself like your best friend if your best friend was about to pick up and you knew it was the worst thing in the world that they could do and it may even be their life would you still let them would you stand there and let them i don't think you would no so don't do it to yourself because you owe it to yourself you've come this far and i don't know how or if I have another reset in me, and I want to talk to you about that. Your, your second, when you really, really, I suppose when you reset and you really got it the last time, I mean, how did you feel going through these resets? Wasn't it just harder and harder? Because they say, you know, you end up drinking more and you end up, you know, right back where you started, plus some when you do go back. So that's kind of information that you need to remember too. So those resets must have been hell. It was, and I wasn't connected with people at that time. Um 
I was doing a lot, like I was engaging in really risky behavior. I was making poor decisions. I was not being my true self. I was being the shell. And mm-hmm. um, I would really love to not ever do that again. I would really love to just have a shitty day, be a shitty day and not because I'm yeah. over. Yeah. Um, it's and it's okay. We're going to have them. That's life. We say that. It's life. It's normal ups and downs. But let the listeners know, how do we react to shitty days now a year later? You go to a Zoom. And I remember there was like two days in a row where I, I think it was like the Saturday meetings or something. And I was sobbing in every meeting. And <laughs> Melanie was in every room that I was in. Oh, yeah. She's was, terrific. And I was just crying. I was like, Melanie, I'm back. You know what? Can I tell you, that woman has a gift. She makes you cry. She wow. has the most beautiful listening skills and even the way she writes, and she's a very dear friend of mine, and she, I don't know, you just know she's listening and she she can have me, yeah, breaks the wall down instantly. So, so you did it with the right person for sure. But how cool is it that the yeah. universe and, aligned you with there. that? Yeah. I, I felt bad and I was like, I'm not even giving you time to like, share if something's going on for you. And she's like, this is, yeah. this is mine. Like, you know, this is okay. It's okay that you, you need this. And, and I she really loves that. I don't like that again, but yeah. she was the she's, right person. Yeah. For that. And she I, is. She I said, she said that. that was such a big, big deal. Yeah. I, I will said, tell her she's in my group. Yeah. She's yeah, in the I castle. So I love her too. And she's just so reliable and she's just a terrific woman. And she's, I call her the quiet achiever. And she is. She's one that doesn't say a whole lot, but let me tell you something. She has an impact and she probably gave me the, one of the best sayings I have ever heard in my life. And she said, you know, it's all about not what someone says. It's all about um, how they make you feel. That's what, you know, that's what you remember. If you remember how they make you feel, God, that's so true, isn't it? Yeah. You can say, I don't even know what it is about this person, but I just adore them. We just get all like house on fire. And that's where the, the wavelengths of the energies align and you just bingo. Well, she's one of those people. So anyway, we got completely off track because we do adore break ground and we adore we adore everybody out there. But yeah, and 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 Lilo's like that too. He did that to me once. He said, How are you going? And I broke down in tears. Because no one had asked me. And he when he asked me, he asked me in a way. That it shot straight to my heart. It was like my mum or dad, my dad. There was something that triggered me about it. was like my dad had asked me, and I could never handle my dad, my stepdad, because he showed unconditional love. And I was never hugged as a kid. So you can't be doing that. You can't be showing me soft love because I was that sensitive kid. Now I'm this tough kid because that's what mum and dad did. And so do you know what I mean? It was sort of, I was all over the place. I think I was so like some manufactured kid, too soft, get her in the factory, bring her out like, you know, a tough little, a tough little kid that she can stand on her own two feet. We'll see what happens. But when he yeah. said something to me, I just lost it. There's just certain people like that, right? And this is this community listeners. This is what we're telling you. And men cry. God bless them. And they say we love being with you, women. And I think that they're starting to communicate more too, which is terrific. You know, I think I had a bit of a hardened heart towards men at times, just because I I didn't feel very safe all the time. And this community has humbled me in a lot of ways because um I probably wouldn't be sober if I hadn't connected with some of the men that I've I've met and they're strong and they're empathetic and they they genuinely care and they ask me tough questions and they tell me personal vulnerable stories 
and it has changed my heart and it's changed my mind. And, you know, it's funny because we don't get into like politics. We don't get into like some things, right? We keep it very much human to human connection. That's it. And it's, and that's it. Their growth, you see their change. They share it's, it's community and community needs all voices. It needs people. It needs difficult people. It needs stubborn people. It needs, um, you know, people that you, you meet resistance with because there's a lesson in it too. Oh yeah. And look, I think it's, it's, it's beautiful what you said. And I've sort of lost my train of thought. Like I know I bloody would then just then when you were saying, um, Oh, the men. Now, the men are terrific. And the thing is, the women say it too. And because I think we know we're very much and pretty much I think everyone's pretty open and honest on the site. And I think it's kept honest because if anyone misses up, they're reported and they're kicked, right? And people keep each other accountable. So the men have been terrific and they know that. But they're real. When people are real, and I've said this, sobriety has a way of sorting your shit out. All your emotions, all your feelings, it's all about that. It's all about what's inside of you. We don't talk about jobs. And where I come from in Australia, we don't talk about politics anyway. We don't talk about money and we don't talk about religion. And that saves a lot of people and it makes you get on a whole lot better. Just does people. Sorry that I'm talking fast, but it's true. We get on a whole lot better when we don't talk about those subjects. So what we talk about is each other. Mm -hmm. Let's talk. And there's no getting to know you really because I know that you've got the same thing I've got, but let's talk about how you got it and what you're doing about it. And that's what it's all about. So everybody gets to be heard. They get to be seen. They get to learn. They get to share. And we get to move on. And I used to think support groups, do they really work? Oh, heck yeah, they work. When you get the right one, and again, and I don't when I don't, I don't want to knock AA, but when you get the right group of people in AA, and it may be a woman's group, it may be a mixed. But if you get the right group of people, that's when it works. It doesn't matter whether it's smart recovery, AA, IAS, bloody whatever it is. It doesn't matter, you know, women for sobriety, as long as as it works, and you can take everything and design the best program for you and leave the rest to other people. That's it. Yeah, it's a salad bar. Pick and choose what works for you. Thank you. The buffets of yeah. uh, the buffets open, soberdownpodcast.com. Thanks for coming. <laughs> Although you did remind me just one thing, and I think I wanted to mention it because I think it's so important. Please do. Um, you have to find things that work for you and keep doing them. I think when people start slacking on, um, you know, what is in their sober toolkit and what they go to, that's when problems arise. So I know for me, it's really great to go to meetings and it's really great to listen to podcasts. And those are two things that I can easily kind of fit into my life. And it doesn't have to be those, but you need to keep stuff going on. Even if you're busy, even if you're working a lot, even if you have a lot going on, you deserve it. And to be honest, like, you don't make it a priority. That voice is, is there and it's still pestering you. And I think that's where you see problems arise. And it's just, it's good to be mindful of that. And if it's yoga, if it's exercise, if it's something you deserve to have your soul and your spirit be nourished and grounded and cared for, even if life is kicking your butt, you know? Yeah. And I think one of the processes now that I'm that I'm looking at it. Oh my God, I'm just to the left and there's a manatee out in the river with a baby. It's a tiny one today and it's beside it. Sorry. And there's all these people just looking at it. I'm just looking straight out. Sorry, guys, I'm digressing. I live on the, um, the Miami River and I see them every day. 
so what were we saying, Erin? Please remind me. See, this is raw and unedited and we are not professionals, so we do this. We just go off topic and get back on topic. Just keeping something in your sober toolkit, I guess, to help you um, stay on top of your sobriety and fitting it into your life. Oh, yes. I was going to say, guys, Erin is right. You have to work it. The two things, even if you write two words on your mirror or on your bathroom mirror or wall or desk or wherever, you've got to practice and you've got to persist and you've got to have patience. It's the three Ps, my mate Jay from Getting Sober dot, 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 again, users on YouTube. You've got to do those things. If you don't, you are going to be a dry drunk, and that means that all the ailments and all the things that you haven't dealt with are going to still be there and they're going to reoccur. So don't think that they're going to go away. I think we can all agree they're not, right, Erin? No, they're pretty They're pretty deep-rooted. Yeah, and with that, I dealt, and I do think there's a time where you have to deal with the attic voice. That is two ways. One, like Erin said, you can get your toolbox and put all different tools in there. I use ACT from Annie Grace a lot where you're aware of that the voice is there. You're clarified that it is and you're feeling by the way you feel and then you turn it around so you do not pick up, okay? So that's the one thing. If you haven't read This Naked Mind, please do. It's just it will make so much sense to you and give you purpose and clarity of how you can get this done and lead a better life, let me tell you. Don't you think? You've read it, haven't you? Yeah, it was. I think it was the first clip book I read. Me too. Me too. And I was just saying, yeah, I've got so many quitlet books in my Kindle that half of them aren't finished. And you do go, I went through that and you'll go through that phase, guys. And there's review, sorry, there's actually recommendations on Sobertown of all sorts of books that we've read that we've told the drift of the creator to put up there. So, you know, we've done the work for you guys. We've spent months and months doing this. So, Erin, before we go, because this has been fantastic chat, my God, you're just so insightful and I've just, the time's gone so, so quickly. Is there anything else that you would like to say to the listeners out there or our community before we um, go? Yeah, I just, I think, you know, if you're in a place where it's hard right now or you're listening and you're white knuckling or, um, you know, we don't know when things are going to come up and when things are going to trigger us. Just make sure that you're you're being gentle and you're being kind to yourself. This is all of our first rodeo, right? Like we are, we have a low number of rodeos of experience in sobriety, right? So we are figuring this out, but we're figuring it out together. And there's resources and there's something that you can always find to connect to and just show up imperfectly, just show up. You know, you deserve that and you deserve to see what could happen if you stay sober. And I think, you know, I just, I have love for everyone. I love you all. Um, and I, I love you, Debs. And I'm so grateful that I could be on today. And um, I hope, I hope it, I hope it helps somebody. I hope it's fun. You know what? It will. It will. And I think that you, um, I actually, you know, I, I see so much potential in you and so many other younger ones that I want to do more with you. And we are going to do our best to touch not only the, the younger ones out there because the rate of depression and suicides are just out of hand and, you know, the problems that we have in society today. So let's just try not to – if we can save one, then we'll be more than happy. So I just – I'm so, so, so thrilled. You've, today was just brilliant. I want to thank you for joining me. I know without a shadow of a doubt you've got a huge future because you're so aware 
of what is going on. You've got your goals and you're sharing now. You're in that point now where you're giving back to the community. You've got lots of friends and, and big following and I'm sure they'll be thrilled when they get to hear this. So thank you again for joining me. Um, all right, listeners, well, I'm going to say goodbye from King13. You know, there's lots and lots of podcasts to listen to here all sorts of subjects. Whatever you do, please poison, pour the poison down the sink. See, I can't say it enough to you. Pour the poison down the sink, and I will see you next time on the Sober Train as we pull into the platform and say goodbye. <laughs>